Well, as you grab a seat, you can uh, find your copy of Scripture. We're going to turn our attention to God's Word now. And uh, if you have a copy of Scripture, I'd invite you to open up to the book of John. If you uh, don't have a copy of Scripture with you, you can find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. And if you don't own one, that's yours to take home. Uh, it's our gift to you. We'd love for you to be in and, and uh, um, looking at God's Word throughout the week. Uh, this morning, as we continue, we just sang uh, the, this, um, this chorus, this song of uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I realized as I did the Advent candle, I didn't, I didn't explain, and, and, and maybe there's many in the room who don't know, but Emmanuel, it, it has a meaning. Uh, the reason that the name was given to Jesus, Emmanuel, is because it means something. It means God with us. Uh, when Jesus came down, it was God coming and dwelling among his people uh, that he made. And so uh, when we look at Advent, it's, it's God coming and entering into the human uh, race, entering into the, the human existence that he created and taking on the form of man, becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And so it's appropriate for us as we, I was looking and praying about, hey, what are we going to do this year for Advent? It's like, well, we're already in a gospel. We're already looking at Jesus and his coming. And so we don't have to look at him as just a baby. We can look at him uh, as uh, the ministry that he came to do and be reminded of why he came uh, as a baby. So that's what we're doing this morning. We're going to continue in John, and we're going to do that for um, just a little bit more. And then uh, we'll have some special uh, services as well, uh, particularly for our candlelight service on uh, Christmas Eve. But this morning, we're continuing. And so we are in John uh, chapter uh, 6 this morning. And uh, this morning, as we get ready to look at God's Word, I wonder, um, is there uh, something uh, that you need uh, for Christmas this year? Um, I don't know about you, but as a kid, uh, I used to always make up a Christmas list. Um, sometimes we would go and get, like, um, uh, you know, different stores would have kind of these magazines or something, and so we'd circle, you know, things in there and kind of give it to our, our, our parents. I, I was always very strategic in the way that I kind of put my list, right? I tried to, like, make very clear, well, these are the things that I really, really want. These are the things, you know, that if I don't get, it's okay. Um, you know, cash was always good. My birthday is uh, December 20th, if you want to write that down, December 20th. Um, but uh, so I was one of those Christmas babies, right, that would uh, kind of get to combine the two. And so as a kid, I used to sort of, um, you know, sort of bemoan that fact that, oh man, like I got to go a whole year and it's all kind of grouped there together. But as I got older, I'm like, I can leverage this. And so I would kind of always combine and get like, you know, some bigger present, which um, was always kind of, I always felt like it was like one and a half, not really quite double, but my parents tried. They really did. And um, still to this day, uh, that's kind of how I, I, I tend to play it. But here's the thing that I've noticed. As I get older, um, you know, Sometimes my wife, my kids will ask, well, what do you want, Dad? What do you, what do you want for Christmas? And um, really, I find myself, there's a lot less things that I want and more that it's like, well, what do I need? You know, if I, if I have a chance, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily need that. I don't really, you know, maybe I want that. But like, you know, sometimes my list, I look at it and it's kind of boring because it's like, man, I really, I need some of these things. And so if you could help me out by getting them for me for, uh, for Christmas, that would be uh, really good. And I just wondered this morning, you know, what do you what do you need uh, this morning? What do you need from the Lord? What do you need as you come into this place? What do you need? What are you looking for uh, in your life? Last week, we saw a miracle that Jesus did. It's a famous miracle. Um, even if you have little knowledge of the Bible, you've probably heard of the miracle that we looked at last week. Um, Josh uh, uh, preached from, from the beginning part of chapter 6, and it's the miracle of the feeding of 5,000. 
where Jesus took those loaves and those uh, fishes and he multiplied them and was able to feed. Um, it wasn't just 5,000, that was just the men. It was like thousands upon thousands with, in, in this miraculous way. And then what followed was this hunt for Jesus. They're like, man, that was really good. We want more of that. And the crowd, what they were asking or looking for was, was something that they wanted, but what Jesus was trying to give them was not just what you want, but what you actually need, right? Because there's a difference, right? And maybe, maybe Christmas is a time for, maybe I should still have more of the wants on there rather than the needs. But more and more, I find that I, I, I don't necessarily want or need as much as I always thought I did when I was younger, Right? There's part of growing and maturity and understanding that you're like, man, I, 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 there's fewer and fewer things that I need. But when we're talking on an emotional level, on a spiritual level, on a relational level, what is it that the people uh, were looking for uh, this morning? Well, this morning, uh, I've titled the, the, the sermon, I Am the Bread of Life, because we had come to the very first of the seven I Am statements in the book of John. And Jesus makes this declarative statement saying that he is the bread of life. And he's going to offer himself as the thing that the people ultimately are looking for, even though they don't know uh, that they need it. Uh, in their search for what they want, he's offering them something that they need. My hope for us this morning is that as we look at this passage this morning, that maybe we didn't even know this morning, maybe we didn't have a list of things kind of walking in that we need from the Lord this morning, but I believe that he has some things to offer us that we do, in fact, need uh, from him. And so before we go any further, um, let me just pray specifically for this passage and our time in it that God would teach us now. And uh, if you would, if you would just pray uh, with me. God, I um, pray that you would just help us to receive this morning from you exactly what we need here. And Lord, you know uh, the, the unique needs of each of us here in this place this morning. God, those that are joining from afar online or, or later listening or watching this, God, you, you know the needs. And so, Father, I ask that you will grant us, uh, God, not just what we want, Lord, but what we need from you this morning, and I pray that you would help us, help direct our hearts toward that. God, would we hear from you as we study your word together? We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're gonna cover a ton of verses this morning, so I apologize, but I'm not gonna have them on the screen. My hope is that you can follow along in your own copy of Scripture. So we're in John chapter six, and we're beginning in verse 22. Let me just read the verses together, and we'll kind of stop and make some pauses along the way. John chapter six, beginning in verse 22, it says this. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus." What's going on there, again, it was right after Jesus had fed the 5,000. So it was the next day, if you remember, we looked at the, the evening concluded with the disciples getting into the boat by themselves. Jesus went to the hills to spend time alone with his father. He came down, found them on the sea, sort of stuck, rowing, trying to get across the sea, unable to do so. And so he walked to them on the water, and then they arrived at land. What we see is they were in Capernaum. The very end of this uh, passage, we're going to see that this all took place, and what we're about to read took place at the synagogue there in Capernaum. And so the people, after 
The miracle, they're like, well, we want more of that. Like, how do we get more of that again? Like, that was pretty cool. Uh, all that bread, all that fish, we got our fill. Like, that, that was, where is Jesus? And so you see there's a little bit of a flurry. People are looking for him. Boats are coming from Tiberias and, and, and looking. And so they go to the western part of the Sea of Galilee, where Capernaum is, and that's where they are seeking and eventually find Jesus. Let's continue on, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea... There at Capernaum, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And here's the first thing uh, that we see uh, this morning is that um, we need to, there's a crowd uh, that we, we see here in this passage, and we need to see ourselves in and a part of that crowd. So you need to see yourself in that crowd. I think there's some things as we kind of look at this crowd this morning uh, that we're going to be able to identify. And so don't look at the crowd as like, okay, it's them over there. Let's put ourselves in the crowd because I think there's some things that we can relate to. What can we relate to with the crowd as we see ourselves in the crowd? Well, here's the first thing. It's this. The crowd was seeking but not finding. They're seeking but not finding. Now, they were seeking Jesus, and they found him, but what they were ultimately seeking, Jesus sort of calls them on it. Notice, when they found him, they said, Rabbi, which was in a term of, uh, it was a term of respect. It was a term of authority. Rabbi, when did you come here? The nature of that question, we see it in English, is when did you come here? It, it actually had sort of a dual meaning. It was not just when, but how. Like, how did you get here? We didn't see you get into the boat. We didn't see you with your disciples. Now, all of a sudden, you arrived here. Like, when did you get here? And that would have been a perfect opportunity, right, for Jesus to unpack for them exactly uh, when he came there or how he came there. He said, well, actually, I, I walked on the water to the disciples and made the boat move across the water and, you know, move this. But that's not what he says. He doesn't answer that way. Notice, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, hopefully by now we've come across enough of these truly, trulys, or in the King James, verily, verily, right? Whenever we see that, it is, hey, listen up. I'm about to say something super, super important. Every time you see that, you need to hear that. Hey, listen up. Listen up. I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. See, here's the thing. The people were seeking something, but they weren't finding ultimately what they were looking for. What did they want? Well, they wanted that kind of bread dispenser, that fish dispenser. They wanted somebody who could provide for them in that way. In some ways, they thought, man, is this, we kind of unpacked this last week, but is this the king? Is this the Messiah? Is this the one who was promised? And so they're seeking after him, but they're not finding him in the way that he was, they were looking for. He was appearing and doing things differently than they wanted him to do. And he says, you saw the signs, but did they really see the signs? We've explained this before, and at the risk of repeating myself, let me just kind of say it again. Signs are, in, are helpful in so much as the thing that they point them to. I remember when I was uh, driving out to Wyoming um, as a uh, freshman, just finished my freshman year of college. I was going to spend the summer in Jackson, Wyoming, building homes. And on the way out there, uh, we passed this place called Waldrug. And some of you have been to Waldrug, and you probably have no reason to go back to Waldrug, right? I don't know if they still have it, but I remember as a kid, they had all these signs of like how many miles to 
wall drug, right? Like they're like, they had them everywhere. I don't know if there's as many of those anymore. I don't feel like I've seen them as I just, maybe I haven't driven that way or whatever. But here's the thing, those signs, all the signs kind of pointing to wall drug are, are, are not ultimately just like, oh man, we see the sign, like that's what we're going after. They're, they're there to point you towards a destination, to, to get you to a place so that you arrive and you see that. Now, unfortunately, in the case of wall drug, it's not a very great destination. You get there and you're like, why did we even come here, right? It was, it was like so not worth anything. I don't know. Maybe I missed it. I, I, I'm not sure. I haven't, gone, I haven't been back. That was uh, over 20 years ago uh, that I uh, first went there. But signs are helpful in so much as where they're pointing you. Here's the thing. They saw the sign of the loaves and the fishes. What they missed was the person who was providing it. Do you understand that? What they actually wanted was just what Jesus was, like the, the gift that he was giving, not the person that he was. See, they were missing the whole point of the sign. The sign was to point to the giver of the gift, not the gift itself. And that's what he's calling them out on. He doesn't answer the question that they're asking. He answers the question that they need to be answered. He says, you came because you ate your fill of the loaves. Remember, 12 baskets were left over. That means everyone got what they wanted. Right? I love that. Whenever I throw a party, I want leftover food because that means everyone got to eat what they wanted. As a host, you never want it to like run out and people are kind of, you're like, man, what's going on here? Right? But here's what happened. They all got what they wanted, but that is why they were seeking. So they're seeking, but they're not finding. We've said it before, but let me say it again. Miracles alone cannot produce genuine faith. That miracle of multiplying the bread and the fish was not gonna produce that by itself did not produce genuine faith in the hearts of people. I think that's good for us to remember because how many times have you said that, well, if God, if I just saw you do this, then I would believe. Or if I just saw this, then I would have faith in this place. So Jesus doesn't tell them of his crossing, instead questions their motive and why they're looking for him. The whole point of the sign is to show who is the giver. And the miracle of the bread, what it ultimately was doing was this. It was pointing to the gospel and it was pointing to Jesus himself and they missed it. They missed that there was good news in that bread being broken and given to them. And so in this moment, what Jesus is doing is he's rebuking their materialistic motive, right? Their shallow perception of the kingdom. If all they're after is some sort of temporal benefit of bread, they're missing out on what Jesus is truly offering. And so here's the thing. I think we need to begin by seeing ourselves in the crowd in the first way is the seeking but not finding. Sometimes I think we go to God, we seek after Jesus for what he can, in our mind, our perception of him, what he can ultimately give to us. And so I wonder, is that, is that you? Is that us? Are there things that we're seeking after, hoping and trying to get from Jesus that he's never promised us or that is kind of a means to an end? Or are we satisfied with the giver himself, not just the gifts that he gives? You see, that give points to the giver. So that's one of the ways that we see ourselves in the crowd. The second is this working but not achieving. Let me show it to you. Jesus' reply to them is this in verse 27. He says, do not work for food that perishes, for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. From on him, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Let me just pause there. That's verse 28. What must we do to be doing the works of God? We might gloss over it or miss it, but that's really 
quite an arrogant, kind of um, a bit of a prideful question to ask of Jesus. See, basically what they're saying is, hey, Jesus, tell us what God requires of us, and then we'll just do that. One, they are, they're assuming that, that there's something that they can do, that like there's, there, there is a path to success, right? That there is a way that they can achieve. And not only is there a way that they can achieve or a path to success, but they believe that they can do it, right? Give me the list and I can do it. I don't know how your house functions. My, my house functions with lists. As we're getting ready for a trip or people are coming over or we need to kind of get things in order, um, my uh, wife, beautiful wife, Bree, will often give me a list. And she's like, here's what I need from you. And when I check off all those boxes on that list, then we are ready to go, right? I know that I've achieved, I've finished. I've... Here's the thing. We sometimes go to God this way and we're like, God, just tell me the list. Give me the things that I need to do and I'll do those, and then I'll earn your favor. We call this morality, right? Like, just tell me what I need to do, and I'll do it. But here's where we're wrong. We need to see ourselves in the crowd. The crowd assumed that they were able to achieve the works of God and do the work that he required. And the reality is they weren't, or they were trying to do the wrong work. They thought that there was some checklist, some thing that they could do, and there just wasn't. He continues on, or he answers them, rather, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them and says, this is the work of God. What's the work? Tell me, Jesus, I want to write it down, put a little checkbox next to it so I can do it. What's the work? He says this, that you, what? Believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus corrects their wrong understanding. They were trying to work but never achieving. And he says, listen, it's not about that. The work that you are called to do is to believe. Another word for that is faith. He says, you need to have faith. Have faith in what? Have faith in who? He says, has faith in him who God has sent. That's Jesus. He's saying in a veiled way, you need to believe ultimately in me. Don't believe in the signs or the works or what you can achieve or what you can do. Believe in me. And so they question this. They're like, well, if we're gonna believe in you, we need some validation, right? So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Which, again, I, I kind of read this, and I'm like, well, didn't he just do that? Like, I don't know about you, but I've never seen someone take a Lunchable and, like, feed 5,000 people with it. That's what he just did, and it's, but that wasn't good enough. Why? Look at verse 31. He says, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread. He there is, is, uh, is Moses, right? Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. So essentially, they're like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, that was good. You just fed all of us one meal on one day. Uh, but here's what Moses did. For 40 years, the Israelites were wandering in the desert. And for 40 years, they had bread six days of the week. They woke up and it was covered like snow. Uh, manna is what it was called. Manna literally means, what is it? They didn't know what it was. They just knew it tasted like bread. That's, that's the translation of manna. What is it? What is this? I don't know. What is it? Like, that's just, we just call it that. They didn't know, but it was like this bread. And they're like, Moses, through Moses was provided this manna. What are you, like, that was 40 years, six days a week. Yes, you fed us once, but what are you going to do to up that? And Jesus answers the challenge. Notice what he says. He says to them, truly, I say to you, again, what do we see? Truly, truly, listen up. This is important. Don't miss this. What's he saying? I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven. You just... Like, they're, they're missing it, right? 
And here's what they're doing at this moment. They're seeing but not understanding. And this is maybe us as well. Sometimes we're looking for the miracle, but we don't understand why the miracle was given. In their minds, they are saying, hey, Moses was great. The people were able to believe and follow Moses because of this sign. What are you going to do? And he's like, listen, it wasn't even Moses. Moses didn't give you the bread. The bread came from heaven. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. He continues, verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. They missed it. I don't know about you, but I think about back to, do you remember back in chapter four, the woman at the well, when he's like, there is a living water that whoever drinks of will never thirst again. And the woman's like, well, give me a cup of that, right? Like, where's your bucket? Give me, give me that. The same thing is true of uh, the people here is uh, Jesus tells of this bread, this true bread that comes down from heaven that gives life to the world. And they're like, well, give us this bread always. It means like from, from, from every day forward. If Moses, through Moses, was able to provide manna, then can you just give us this bread all the time? Where do we get it? How do we get it? What do we do? And here's the thing. They were seeing but not understanding. And as we kind of look back at this, like I said, we need to see ourselves in the crowd. And I wonder how much of us do we see ourselves in this? Have we ever sought after our version of Jesus, our version of God's word? Seeking but not finding because we're looking for the wrong thing. How many times have we worked to achieve this moral standard or this, you know, I, I, know that, I, I know that there's grace, I know that there's redemption, I know that there's forgiveness, but you know what? I need to clean myself up first, right? I need to get this in order. I need to do this. But we find that it's a, it's a hamster wheel, right? We can never get off it because we're, we're never good enough. We never do it. Like, I'm never gonna do that again. And then we find ourselves back in that same place. Like Paul says, he's like, I do the things I don't wanna do. I don't do the things I wanna do. And so we find ourselves working but never achieving, and at the same time, we come and we hear week after week, we see these miracles, we see the work of God around us, but we fail to comprehend and understand who he is and what he's doing and just how great and awesome he is. See, here's the thing. I think we can relate so much to this crowd. And what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to dispel all this. Like, hey, you came seeking, trying to find something that you want. I'm here to give you something that you need. And what you need is the true bread of life. Now that we understand and see ourselves, let's see what Jesus is offering. And it's this. Jesus is calling us to a place of belief. Believing what? Believing that he is the bread of life. We need to believe that Jesus is the bread of life. Here we come to the I am statement, the first of seven in the book of John. It says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Where do we get this bread? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He compares himself to this bread, or not even compares, says that he is this bread. They're like, where do we get us? Sir, give us this bread always. He's like, you're looking at him. It's right here. I am the bread. I am the manna sent down from the Father. In the same way that God sent manna to our forefathers, he's now sending me to you. I'm the better manna, is what he's saying here. I am the bread of life. Jesus is the bread. We're going to come across these statements as we continue to walk through the book of John. 
I said that there's seven of them. Let me just give them to you. If you want to write them down, you can. We can leave this up for just a second. But um, uh, there's seven statements. The first is this one, I am the bread of life. The second here is, uh, I am the light of the world. That's in John chapter 8. John chapter 10 has a couple of them. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And John chapter 15, I am the true vine. What Jesus is doing is he's trying to unpack for them. Each of those has a significance within the Jewish uh, traditions, culture, their belief system. And he's redefining and reascribing uh, truth to these things. And so it's interesting that he takes this very first one. He says, I am the bread of life. Well, let's think about bread. To you and me, maybe we, um, <laughs> if you're on some sort of carb, uh, you know, no carb diet or something like that, you're like, well, that's the like, you know, that's, that's the devil, right? We can't, like, we can't, can't have any sort of uh, bread. Personally, I love bread. I think it's fantastic. Um, and uh, I'm paying the consequences because of that. But here's the thing is that uh, bread uh, was not just sort of something that was kind of a side or something that you made a sandwich on. Bread was a sustenance. It was like kind of a daily part of their life. He didn't compare himself to like a steak dinner. Like at our house, steak dinner is like if we're having a special night, like we're gonna grill some steaks, right? That's like a once in a while, like once every several weeks, you know, we might get some steaks. But, but bread is like a daily thing. That's an every, everyday sort of thing. And he's saying in that, he's by comparing himself to bread, that there's this regular occurrence, this, this kind of commonality to it, that it's, it's needed for the sustaining of life, not just in the special moments, but, but to keep very life going. He, this is where he compares himself to that. Life apart from bread was unimaginable to the people. And what he's saying here, as he's saying, I am the bread of life, what he's calling the people to is to belief, to faith. Specifically, what does it mean to believe that he is the bread of life? I think there's four things that he has for us here. When we believe Jesus is the bread of life, it's the first one is this. We believe that he satisfies our deepest hunger. Notice what he says here. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever come, comes to me, what? Shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, he satisfies the hunger of our soul. And if we're honest with ourselves, and maybe I don't have to convince you of this truth this morning, but I believe that all of us are hungry for something. We're all longing, searching, desiring something. If you've ever had a day where you're like, man, it just, it just feels like something's missing, like I, I, I need something else. And then you try and fill that with something. Maybe it's the vacation that you've been kind of working towards or longing for. Right? That, or that day off. Or maybe it's that night out or the night with the family or the night with the spouse or the night with the friends or whatever it might be. See, I believe that there is nothing that satisfies the longing of our soul apart from Christ. I mean, I think we could point to all sorts of things, whether it's that hunting trip, right? The book that we're reading, the football game that we're gonna attend or watch or get caught up in for a couple hours, the concert that we attend. And I watch, I think sometimes concert experiences are this, this seeking after something kind of greater than ourselves and with this community or with other people. Like we want to experience something for a minute. Buying the, the latest piece of fashion, 
or just something new, right? Getting that newer technology, upgrading the phone or upgrading the computer or whatever it might be, that raise or promotion at work. Here's the reality. As I'm listing all those things, how many times has your heart longed or wanted something like that? Maybe my list didn't hit yours, but, but how many times have you wanted something, you got it, and then it wasn't very long when you needed something else, right? None of those things satisfy. None of those things fill the hunger that we have in our soul. And what Jesus is saying when saying, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, he's saying, I satisfy the deepest hunger that you could have. And sometimes we chase after other things to fill that. Where are we chasing? What are we looking after to fill the hunger of our soul? The first area of belief is believing this, believing that Jesus satisfies the deeper hunger. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he can satisfy the hunger that you're looking for? I think we might say that in word, but our actions sometimes betray us, right? Because when we have that longing, we don't always go to him. When we find ourselves in a longing of the soul, we don't always turn to him or seek after time relationship with him. It's in those moments that we turn to other things. He's trying to redirect them. He says, hey, you came here looking for bread. I'm telling you, I've got something better. I've got the bread of life, which is me. You can find me. Verse 36, it continues, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down to heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And it is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given, but raise it up on the last day. The second area of belief is not just that he satisfies the deepest hunger. He's, we believe this, that he receives those who come to him. He receives those who come to him. He says, all the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You know what? I have spent time with people and I've heard this said many, many times. Like, I, how could Jesus ever receive me? Or how could God ever receive me? You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've thought. You don't know where I've been. And to that, I would say, all who come to him, he receives. Whoever the Father is drawing, he receives. Some of you have felt, and maybe even now, today, are feeling this prompting, this drawing toward the Lord, but yet there's part of your heart, your soul, which keeps you away from it and says, well, he couldn't, receive, couldn't possibly receive me. I just want to tell you that if the Spirit is drawing you, then he is going to receive you. He is going to welcome you in. Like that prodigal son who returned to his father. When the father saw him far off, he, it says that he, like, he ran. People didn't run in that day. It was, it was unbecoming. It was, it was not what a father would do. But he hoisted up that, that long cloak and he took down off the road and he received him with gladness, with welcome arms. This is the picture of our heavenly father. He receives those who come to him. What had the son done but squandered all that he had given? What did the son do but, but throwing his inheritance in his face? Yet Jesus received him fully. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you come to Jesus that he will receive you? The truth of scripture is clear. Let's continue on. Let's look again at verse 39. It says, and this of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Here's the next truth that we believe. It's this, is that he raises to life those the father draws. Jesus raises to life those the father draws. Notice this, for it is the will of the father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, but I will raise him up on the last day. 
Those who look will receive eternal life and he will raise them up. But notice the Jews, they, they grumble about this. I always love the word grumble. Grumble is exactly what it sounds. Grumble, when you grumble, is a grumble, 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 right? Like that's like, murmur is kind of the same way too. Murmur, 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 like grumble. So they grumbled about him. Why? Because he said, I am the bread to come down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? They're like, hey kid, we know your mom and dad, all right? Like we know where you came from. We know where your house is. Like what do you mean you came down from heaven? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered him, do not grumble amongst yourself. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets that they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. He's like, I'm from God. I've seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And we've said it before, Jesus did not come. And I think we forget this. So I'm just gonna keep banging this drum. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He didn't come that you would have a moral life and that you would be a nice neighbor and a good community citizen and a hard worker at your job. Like that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. And so if you're here this morning and you've never received this truth, this is what the truth of God's word is saying this morning is that he came that you might be raised to life again. And he raises all who the Father dwell, uh, that, that he draws. All that the Father is bringing to himself, he's going to raise up to a new life. And when we read eternal, we think about the length, but I've told you before, we need to think about the quality. Yes, it lasts forever, but the quality begins now. There is a new, renewed life a fullness that's found in Christ today. How does that happen? Well, can I just say that we are called to mission. If you are following Jesus, if you are in Christ, if you have been raised to life, you now have a life that is not your own. Christ has purchased you and you are now called and invited into his mission. We get to take part and be a part of redeeming and renewing this world that, he's ha that he has us in. Do you know that our work that we're doing here, when we talk about Christmas toy shop, we're not just talking about like, man, we want, you know, Make sure some kids have some presents. That's part of it. But we're trying to show the goodness and the grace and the, and the generosity of our Heavenly Father to those around us. As we engage in a ministry like the Spanish, why would a bunch of English speakers be, care anything about people that, that speak a different language? Different, like that's a ton, that's gonna be, it's gonna be a ton of work. I'm just telling you, like it's gonna, it's gonna change the texture and the feel of our church as we really engage in this. And God does this, but what do we do? We are called to purpose. We're called to mission. And so now that he raises you to life, it's this quality of life. There's purpose behind what we're doing. And there's an eternality to it. We know that it's going to last. The things done according to God and through his power will last. There's purpose in this. And so he's raising to life. He raises to life those who the Father draws. And so what is this work of God? Well, it's faith. And I've said before, it's not just faith in the abstract. We're not just called to believe generally. Like, I just need to have some belief in something. No, no, no. Belief is helpful in so much as where your belief is rooted. It's belief in Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus can raise your dead heart to life? He can and he will and he has. See, all of us are born dead. There is no one that is born spiritually alive. I've heard people say before, like, I've always been a Christian. I've always believed. I've always known God. No, you haven't. 
You may have come to that realization at a young age or, or you know, at an age before you can remember all the details of that. But I'm telling you, you were born dead in your sin. And at some point, if you believe, then you passed from death to life and he raised your dead heart alive. That happened at some point in your life. It didn't happen before you were born. It happened after. And some of us maybe have never taken that step and he's calling you toward that today that he, want, like, he would love to raise you to life. It says that all who believe, right? Whoever believes has eternal life. It's faith. This is the work that we're called to do. It's not really work at all. It's just putting our faith in the work that Christ has done. Notice there that even the faith is the work of God. I know sometimes we wrestle with this. We're like, well, it seems like God's the one who's drawing. Doesn't he, is he the one who chooses? Yet it says in the same little paragraph here, it says, have faith, right? Whoever believes will be saved, will have life. So which is it? Is God choosing me or am I choosing God? And to that, I think scripture says, yes, it's both. And it's totally okay with saying both. It doesn't try and reconcile that for us. And so the work of faith is, is initiated and brought on by God himself. Let's continue on. Look at verse 48. It says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give him for the life of the world is my flesh fourth area of belief is this. He gives eternal life to those who believe. We talked about that, but that's found in believing in him and his sacrifice. It's his flesh, his body, which was broken for us. And those that believe will find life in him. And so what do we do with all this? What is Jesus calling the people to? Well, they didn't get it. I'll tell you that. If you continue on in verse 52, it says the Jews disputed among themselves. So first they were grumbling, grumble, 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 right? Now they're disputing. They're kind of arguing among themselves and they're saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You have to understand, this would have been against every Levitical law. Like this is not allowed. How can he give us his flesh? And so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, here we go. Again, listen up, this is important. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, let's be very clear. He's not talking about eating or drinking his literal flesh or his literal blood. This is figurative. It was certainly understood like this. At no point did the disciples, his followers, anyone ever eat of his physical flesh or drink of his physical blood. To that, we say, yes, thank you. That is not, that's not what we're looking for here. It's figurative. But what he's saying is, is, if you don't believe in me, if you don't take me, if you don't receive me, then you have no part in me. You have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because the Father, whoever, uh, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Here is what he was trying to drive home for the crowd, and this is the final thing for us today. It's this, is that we are called to leave the crowd and to receive the bread of life. Notice the crowd kind of operates like the crowd, right? We never really see it breaking up. It's kind of all kind of in this place. 
and they're grumbling, they're disputing. What we see in the next paragraph, we're going to look at this next week, but we see that many, not just of the crowd, but even the disciples, it says many of his disciples walked away after this saying. See, if you don't understand the weight of the saying, then you're not understanding just how real this was. Many of his disciples left after Jesus said that. Like, that's too hard. That doesn't make sense. I can't do that. They turned away after this. But Jesus is calling us to the opposite. He's saying, listen, the crowd may not be following, but I'm calling you to follow. If we look around, the crowd, the crowd does not always and rarely follows or responds to Jesus, right? That's just not what we see. He says the way is narrow. The path that take it, the people that take the path, it's few. But what do we see here? He's calling us to receive the bread of life. How do we receive the bread of life? See, here's the thing that I think. I think Jesus took this picture of a food so that we would have an image for it. Food does very little for you if you just look at it or you know that it exists, right? Right? Like last night, <laughs> my uh, oldest was super hungry, and I never do this, but she's like, Dad, I just, I need something. Like, so I'm like, okay, I'll go, let's go get a burger. It was like, like late at night. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just knowing the burger was there. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, why don't you think about the burger? Right? Or even if I got the burger and she got to smell the burger, look at the burger, hold the burger, that's doing nothing for her hunger. And one could argue maybe it wasn't the best thing for her hunger, but it's okay. It's not an everyday thing, okay? Special occasion, right? It's only in so good as she takes and she eats and she consumes and she receives it, right? Like that's where the food becomes nourishment. That's where the food does what the food is called to do. It's not enough just to know that Jesus is there. It's not just enough to hear his teaching, to see his teaching, to, to think about his teaching. You have to receive it, to internalize it, to let it affect you, to let it nourish you. Jesus is calling us to let us be nourished by him himself. And so we receive the bread of life. Some look at this passage and they're like, well, I see what he's doing here. And it just so happens, right? Just so happens that it, this falls on communion Sunday. We're about to take communion, but people see this and they're like, oh, I see what it is. It's communion. He's talking about communion. If I take communion, then it is. Here's the thing. John 6 is not about communion. Communion is about what John 6 is about. Did you hear that? It's not about communion. Communion is about the same thing that John 6 is. It's about him. It's about receiving him. It's about finding our nourishment, our deepest longing in him. It's understanding that he is the bread of life. I want to close our time with this. And just ask you this question, is Jesus real to you? Do you receive him in the same way that you receive food? Do you really depend on him? One author named James Boyce says this. I'm going to read this. It says, is he as real to you spiritually as something you can taste or handle? Is he as much a part of you as that which you eat? Don't think of me as blasphemous when I say he must be as real to you and as useful to you as a hamburger and french fries. I say this because although he is obviously far more real and useful than these, the fortunate thing is that for many people, he is much less. To that, I would say, how many of us would go for a day or two or three by skipping meals? How many of us would go for a day or two or three of skipping drink, right? Not having a glass of water. How many of us would try and go for more than a day or two without sleep, 
There's so many of these things that we know that we need and we make space for and we time for and we go for. Why? Because we know we can't make it without it. I'm telling you, if Jesus is as real to us as he's calling us to be, then we can't make it through the day without him. We need to feast on him. We need to feed on him. We need to receive him. That's what he's inviting us to, that we would find the longing of our soul, the nourishment that we're receiving, that we're looking for, that we would find all of that in him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the gift that we find in you and in you alone. Lord, you are the bread which gives life. God, you are the spiritual nourishment that our soul needs. Lord, thank you. God, we give you thanks for filling the deepest longing of our hearts and soul. Lord, I pray that those of us in this room that maybe have received this but we have forgotten or we haven't feasted upon you, Lord, that we haven't received you in the way that we should, Lord, that we would be reminded today and do that afresh. God, if there would be anyone here this morning who has not yet received the gift of life that's found in you, God, would today be the day of salvation? God, would today be the day that they acknowledge, yes, I am far from you, and yes, you have made a way through Jesus, and yes, I receive you today. Jesus, we find life in you and in you alone. God, we give you praise. We give you thanks for that truth this morning. So Lord, remind us of this afresh. God, we pray that you would fill our hungry souls. God, with your nourishment, with your truth, Lord, with you and you alone, we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.